Hello, everyone. This is Leah Remini, and I'm here, of course, with Mike Rinder, and this is Scientology Fair Game. And we are uh, joined by somebody that I love, but I know you do, Mike, but uh, also appeared on The Aftermath, Claire Headley. Hi, Claire. Thank you so much for having me on. Hello, hello. Oh, my God. Claire, you're one, like, you've been on The Aftermath a few times, and you, and... You're one of those people that we've called over the years, like, hey, Claire, could you do us a favor? Hey, Claire, can you do me a favor? Hey, Claire. <laughs> and then and I'm happy to every time. No problem. And, and we thank you. And we thank you. And then when I, when I, when I uh, text or email your husband, Mark Headley, uh, and I don't get an answer, I go, hey, Claire, could you do me a favor? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. The whole world operates in that. And with, with respect to the Headleys, everybody does it that way. <laughs> right. Exactly. Call Claire. That that should be Call the hashtag. Claire. Call Claire, everybody. Call Claire. <laughs> anyway, why, Mike, why don't you uh, uh, give us a brief history of how, brief history of how you know Claire and what Claire was in the Sea Org and all that. Right. I so know Claire, Claire doesn't have from... to do it. <laughs> so Claire doesn't what? have to do it herself. <laughs> it's all good. I know Claire from uh, working together with her extensively at the international headquarter base of Scientology uh, near Hammett in Riverside County, California. Mm-hmm. And Claire was a senior Sea Org member, which I assume everybody by now knows, but Sea Org members are full-time Scientology employees who dedicate this life and every life for a billion years to achieving the objectives of Scientology. Claire was a senior executive in Religious Technology Center, which is the organization that is run by David Miscavige. So it's like and his special little it's like his special little organization with only the special people. His, only his, the special people. Lo- is, lots of white young women. Yes, his own personal army. Right, right. Yes. Right. Okay. And and, and I'm not being facetious when I say that. Mm-hmm. The selection of people into religious technology center was in part based on how they looked. And his ideal was young, good-looking white women. Mm-hmm. Right, right, Claire? Yep, it's accurate. In fact, um, within the first two months of me being in the Religious Technology Center, which started in March 96, there was a photo taken of all of us. We were RTC reps in training. There was 20 of us, one male. Mm, right. <laughs> Yes. Right. Yeah, and and that's true for Scientology. I mean, Scientology is predominantly white. I mean, that's but even more so uh, around David Miscavige is what you're saying. Is that correct? He had, yes. a, he had a type, and he cast that type. Correct. One other thing I want to add before we go on with Claire is, in the C organization, you have a lot of people who have any compassion or. Mm-hmm. care for others beaten out of them. It is not a trait that is uh, seen to be of any value in the C organization. If you have no empathy, if you are ruthless, uh, tough and mean, that is a big positive. Mm-hmm. Well, some people go into that with a gusto and become complete assholes. Mm-hmm. Claire is one of the few people who never did. Claire, despite her very lofty position, was always the nicest, kindest, most caring person. She looked after me 
so many times when I was in deep trouble because I was usually in deep trouble mm-hmm. that it it's a lasting memory that I always have of Claire of her kindness and her her willingness to do things that were not acceptable that other people wouldn't do to take care of someone. And and, and the Scientology mentality in general, right, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. It's Mm. this, it, it is a, a not uh, an unfair generality to say that Scientologists in general are not um, compassionate people Mm -hmm. because compassion is seen as a weakness. It is not being, strong, self-determined, certain of yourself. It is seen as a weak trait, and particularly in Sea Org members. Right. Now, Claire, how long were you in the Sea Org? Yes. Well, by the thank you, Mike, for for what you said there. (laughs) That's very kind. Um, I was in the Sea Org for um, 14 years, from uh, 1991 until 2005. And then, and then your husband, you, you both left and you've told your story on our program. Um, and it's an amazing story. And also Mark, your husband wrote a book called blown for good, which tells your story as well. Um, yes, but you were a celebrated, like Mike is saying, a sewer member, despite your being kind and, um, and, and once, and once you left, uh, what immediately began was, uh, fair game against you and Mark. Correct. Um, so you both went from celebrated Sea Org members to, to, to what? I'll, I'll let you speak. Yeah, so we, we both escaped in January 2005, mm-hmm. and almost immediately um, we were, became the, you know, the, the worst enemies of Scientology. Mm-hmm. Ironically, within a few weeks of us leaving, well, the day after I made my escape, my mm-hmm. entire family were called into the Scientology base in LA Mm -hmm. and informed they could not ever talk to me again. Um, The day after I left, Um, a week after I left, I emailed OSA, Kirsten Catano, and said, hey, um, so OSA Office of Special Affairs, that's Mm -hmm. the the division of Scientology that oversees enemies, legal Mm -hmm. threats, uh, that's who runs the private investigators that harass ex-members, as we know from the history right. of it. Um, right. So I knew that I would need to reach out to OSA mm-hmm. to, to say, so, so I said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I've left, I've escaped. I'm not coming to back. To Kirsten Catano. Cause she's Kirsten Catano. Her- yes. And she, she's a Sea Org member. Particularly mm-hmm. dealing with Sea Org members who escape. Right. And these people are handpicked, like you said, from David Miscavige, right? Yes, absolutely. And if you make the mistake of making a comment about mm-hmm. that is in any way favorable about anybody who has ever left mm-hmm. your history in that world. Well, not that you get kicked out, but you get put into like the decks, right? Where you get punished. Right. Yeah, it's not like you, you become get to a home. gardener or yeah, a dishwasher yeah. or something like that. In the sea work. Yes. 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 Oh, I mean, 
That sounds lovely in comparison to what you two were doing, but go ahead. <laughs> I know. I had the <laughs> same thought. I was like, please, like- please just put me in grounds. Let me right. just mow some lawns. Like, yeah, pick some I can't, weeds. I can't yeah. take this right, anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, no, because Mike says it and it sounds like it's it's disparaging towards people who are gardeners and dishwashers because Mike, as you know, still has some sea org in him. But, um, <laughs> no, but, but I, I did want to comment while you say that, cause you made yeah. me think of it. And so, you know, it always over the years, the amount of times we were told, you know, if you ever leave, you're going to, uh, Die the people cancer. who leave will be, they're drug addicts. They, mm-hmm. they're involved with prostitutes. And if you leave, all you're going to do is flip burgers for the rest of your life. And right. so by, at the end of the 14 years, I was like, you know what? I would love to flip burgers for the rest of my life. That would blow away this life. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you, you so went right. to pizzas. Yeah. Yeah. I know, and it was amazing. I, I was thrilled to be able to deliver yeah. lunch to some happy people. So, so you went to Catano. Uh, you went to, what's her name? Kristen. Kirsten. Kirsten, go I, ahead. Yes, and I emailed oh. her and I said, listen, I've left. I'm not coming back, um, but I would like to be able to have contact with my family. What can mm-hmm. I do? And um, Greg Wilhair answered that email, not and Kirsten. Greg Wilhair was number two guy in RTC at that time. So he was David Miscavige's deputy. And he Is had- he the one guy in the photo? Is he the one guy in the photo? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. So then you lied. Claire. You, you lied, clearly. Uh, well, <laughs> I said RTC reps in sorry, training. Sorry, sorry. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Not that it was all of RTC, okay. yes. But, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but he is. he has been the face of RTC. He has spoken at some public mm-hmm. events. And um, okay. so he answered and he said, okay, listen, hold on. It's all on hold. Uh, I'll get back to you. So mm-hmm. I said, okay, great. Maybe I'll have a hope of speaking to my family ever again. Right. I didn't hear anything for months, and I found out later it was because Greg had been busted and had been doing heavy manual labor for two months. Mm. So then, so this was in January. Then come April, I get a call from Warren McShane, who Who's is he? the he is also Religious Technology Center. He's the guy that that oversees all legal everything, all legal matters. He runs OSA. Okay. Um, from RTC, and okay. he is his 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 biggest use to David Miscavige is that he is a professional liar. Okay. Um. So he calls me and says, "Listen, uh, come back and do the RPF, and mm-hmm. you won't be declared." <laughs> <laughs> we have to explain what the RPF is, though. Yes. So the Rehabilitation Project Force, um, is the punishment that is administered to Sea Org members when they consistently and continually break all the rules. And it is, um, I, the closest comparison I can make is it's like prison camp. Like mm-hmm. when you're put in the RPF, the Rehabilitation Project Force, mm-hmm. you wear black all day, every day. You're not allowed to talk to anybody outside of that unit and that program um, you do eight hours a day of heavy manual labor. You mm. run everywhere. And then five hours a day, you're interrogated for your evil purposes. Mm. And this can, this generally, this program generally lasts five to can go, be up to 10 years. Mm. Um, and the, the, the end product of that is that you are reprogrammed. Mm. 
as a as a person. Right. So it's supposed to fix you. Yes. Right. So you were told, come back, do the RPF, and we'll let you speak to your family. Yes. And you this said was no. After, yes. No, this yeah. was after I'd been gone for four months. Right. We, we had leased an apartment. I had a job. I had slept for the first time in three right, years. Right, right. I was eating normal food, all right. of this. So obviously it was absolutely not an option. Right. And so um, so we were declared suppressive people and given our goldenrod issue, which is a sheet of paper that says um, that you're a suppressive person and what crimes you've committed against Scientology. And They've actually that- get, they actually gave you that? They did. Oh, Mike, we should see that. That was back in the old days, man. Right, because they don't do that anymore because they're they now they know that people are going to post it on the internet. Yes, funny story. Yeah, funny story about that. So Mark went out to L.A. in May. So again, this is now four or five months after we'd left, and he rented a a U-Haul truck, and they um, the Scientology security guards loaded up all of our belongings into Mm. this truck. And um, and then they we had a rendezvous. So Mark met the security guard with with the truck loaded with all of our belongings. And at that meeting, the security guard handed Mark an envelope. And so Mark took it and he was like, "Okay." And the security guard says, "Well, you need to read that." And Mark (laughs) opened the envelope and looked at the SP declares. He's like, "Whatever." He's like, "No, you need to read it. I have to tell them what your response is." Oh my god. They actually just wanted a response. Yes, they, they wanted exactly. her to cry. Yes, and be like, yes. No. beg, oh beg to come back. Please yes. don't do this. So did yes. he do it, or did he just tell him to go fuck himself? He was like, "Whatever, I'm not going to read that right now." Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> That's funny. Yes. All right. So the fair game began. The websites began. The hate websites. You and Mark were the worst type of people ever. And and even in even though you were in the Sea Org for fourteen years and you were a celebrated Sea Org member, suddenly once you left, fair game begins. Yes. And yeah. I think the two main reasons that we became such huge targets for them mm-hmm. is number one, Mark started looking on the internet you know, right. at what was posted about Scientology. He watched the South Park show. Um, and honestly, at that point, I have to, I have to, you know, honestly, I was scared. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, great. There were my chances of ever talking to my family ever again. <laughs> right, because these you know, things are forbidden. Looking yes. on the internet, watching anything that is not Scientology, uh, that Scientology put out is, is, so it's hard because even though you've left, and you're living in an apartment, and you're living in the free world, you still are like, I'm not going to cross certain lines, Scientology rules, which is speaking out, which is going on the internet, watching things like Going Clear, watching The Aftermath, watching a South Park, reading any book that's, or article disparaging Scientology. So it's it's funny that, you know, we all kind of dealt with the same thing. Like, we'll do this, but we won't do that. Yes, the cross programming... The line. Yes, yeah, the, their yeah, programming is so deep yeah. that, especially, and for me, I was born into it and had been in the C organization from the age of four, really. Yeah. Um, so for me, it wasn't that I still believed, it was that I was reeling and yeah. trying my best to recover. Right. At the same token, I knew, you know, I respected Mark, he's my husband, I love him, and I, I so I just thought, you know, 
I'm going to allow him the space to do whatever he needs to do, just as he's doing the same to me. Right. Um, so I didn't ask him to stop or anything, but still it scared the crap yeah. out of me. Of course. And so he, he was reading these things and, and he just came across things that were just not accurate. Um, you know, there was some truth in them, but the stories that had been posted were, you know, were p- small pieces. So Mark started posting anonymously at, under the name Blown for Good. That's where the name of his book comes from. Right. Um, when he started doing that, and he was simply and only approaching it from, listen, this is what actually happened. These right. are the stories of what was actually going on at the int base. And there was a, a an infamous a circumstance known a, known on the base as musical chairs, where David Miscavige um, played a game of musical chairs with all the int executives, but it was the most disturbing yeah. thing I've I've ever heard. It was abusive. It was. Uh, just, it was very yeah. and abusive. This is, and this was uh, explained and going clear, right? This yes. Is, yeah. Okay. Yes. yes. Yeah. That's right. It ended up with. Physical fights, Miscavige carefully orchestrated it so that no husband or wife would ever be together. And the end result was the determination of where all these executives would be shipped off to far, far reaches of the, the worst Scientology organizations as the, the absolute worst punishment he could dream up. Right. Um, so Mark posted about that. Um, and he started posting about some current events that he was aware of and that he and I both were aware of. Um, and that really, really made Miscavige angry. Right. Um, so that was one of one circumstance. And then this concurrent to that, Mark and I both started um, connecting with people who had left. And in Which December... Which is another no-no. Which is another no-no. Yes, right. another no-no. They don't want mm. anyone connecting. They want everyone to be isolated, no one to talk to anybody. And so starting in December of that year, uh, we had our first SP party where about 30 30 people came to our house and we had a Christmas party and it was amazing. Uh, SP, everybody stands for suppressive person. That is the enemies or perceived enemies of Scientology. Go ahead, Claire. So you had an SP party. Yes. And so we found out later that um, there had been two OSA spies sent into that party to report oh. on who was there. And and shortly thereafter, I started noticing um, this, this older gentleman would walk past our house in Burbank every day at the same time. And he had one of those massive radios that no one uses anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's what even struck me. But he would always cross the street walking at our house so and we had these big windows so right. he would see in and see who was there anyway it was one thing after another but um yes they started doing special trash collections they started uh, they were listening in on our calls um in fact when mike left um we we learned more details about that and it was it was outrageous how specific the information was that they were gathering like and now now you're talking about like tapping your phones and stuff this is illegal so would you ever go to the authorities with any of this information uh we went to the fbi with all Mm. of that information yes and they were like can't help you yes they said (laughs) (laughs) they well you know the problem is at least as i see it Mm. um scientology i think banks on the fact that 
it's going to take someone a few years before they get their head straight, mm-hmm. know what, know, understand everything that went on and have a clear view of mm-hmm. the abuse and everything that, that we've lived through. Yeah. And so the, by the time I went to, we went to the FBI, um, was five years after we'd left right. and they took in all the information, but their statement was, we need something more recent. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I get it. Right. Same yes. old, same old. Right. <laughs> yes. So and, our, and, go ahead, yes. go ahead, Claire. Yeah. Go ahead. So I was going to say, um, so shortly after my son was born, uh, my oldest son, he was born in February 2006. And I think it was April 2006, Kirsten Catano called me and said, we need to get you going on your A to E steps. So what that is, is the policies by L. Ron Hubbard about suppressive people have steps A to E. And if you ever want to resolve your status as a suppressive person, and for me, what that would mean is if I ever wanted to talk to my family again, then I would be required to go through that those steps. And those steps include um, a confession of all your so-called crimes, right. um, payment of your bills. And in my case, Mark and I had a bill from them. Again, we have the bill. Mm-hmm. And our total was $150,000. Now, so, so just so everybody knows, when you join the Sea Org, Part of the payoff for living the way you're living, which is you live communally, and if you're not lucky enough to get married, you live in a motel room, basically, with six to eight other people. If you're married, you usually live in a motel room with no television, no telephone, just a bed and usually a dresser, right? Some personal yes. items, but nothing No car. To, no, no car. car. Yes. So, and you get And you work. Uh, from seven in the morning, sometimes all the way through the next day. But on a good day, it's seven in the morning till one in the morning. Am I wrong, guys? Nope, you're exactly uh, right. You don't see that's your family. A good day. Yeah, that's a good day. You don't it's see a great your family. Day. <laughs> you don't see your family uh, if they're not in the Sea Org. Uh, you might pass them if they're in the Sea Org in the hallway or somewhere in a parking lot, and it's like, hey. Um, and if you're Scientology family, uh, you'll never see them like even not. And that's not, it's just because Scientology family feels like, you know, you're in the military and you're, you've dedicated your life to something very important. So they don't want to bother you. Uh, you rarely see them on, even on holidays. And so for this, you guys get $50 at best a week. At best. Yes. Well, technically it was 46 after taxes, but yes. Right. (laughs) And you don't right exactly and yes. like what what was the figure Mike? Somebody said their figure like after being in the Sea Org for how many years? Like they left with like a pension or what? 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 Like of two thousand dollars? It was like insane. It was like for being in the Sea Org for thirty years. Right, well, Mark, the Social Security yeah, yeah. adds up to. I I think mine was two thousand dollars after yeah. twenty seven years or thirty one years or however long it was of service. I mean, basically, and this is of service, but, everybody. This is not a job. This is three hundred and sixty five days a year with no vacation. They don't send you on Sea Org vacations. You don't get to just lounge around on Saturday and Sundays. You don't get half days. You don't get none of. The, I mean, it's seven days a week. Yes. Um, so when you leave, oh, and for that, for the $46, uh, the other bonus of being in the Sea Org is 
that you're supposed to get your Scientology services for free. And yes. that is mandatory courses for your job that you don't ask to do. It's mandatory security checking that you don't ask to do. But Scientology is mandatory, whether you're a Sea Org member or parishioner. And then they have the balls to say, well, we gave you all the Scientology for free. So now you got to pay us back. Yes. Being that, that you left the Sea Org. So that's exactly bill- right. Your bill was a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and by the way, hundred and hundred and fifty for Mark sorry. and I both, and and included on mine was the fact that for my job I was required to do the OT levels. So unlike most Sea Org members, those are the confidential levels, the upper confidential levels of Scientology. Everybody, go ahead. Yes. Um, so I was um, on OT level five mm-hmm. at the time that I left, and that's why mine was significantly higher than Mark's, but between the two of us, it was $150,000. Right. So you never even asked to do your A to E steps. Uh, You were not planning on going back. So they had some balls to even suggest it, but that's Scientology. So uh, you decided, like, you guys were like, we're out. We're just, we're, we're not coming back. We're not paying this bill. We're done. Yes, that's right. So it's called a freeloader bill. And as Leah mentioned, um, you, as a Sea Org member, you are required to do two and a half hours a day of Scientology training and or counseling. They're auditing. That's their, their Scientology's version of therapy, if you will. So two and a half hours a day for 15 years. Um, and every service that I, that I took, and by the way, this also includes any time that Mark or I were in trouble and required interrogation there uh, or sec checking. All of those things were billed for when we left because the policy is, well, um, it's all free unless you leave. And if you leave, then now you're a freeloader um, and now you're going to be required to pay for all of those things whenever it is that you make your escape. And so it's very, it's, it's a standard, um, step that gets taken anytime somebody either escapes or tries to route out, follow the steps and leave according to how they would like you to leave, which is not escaping. Um, when you're declared a suppressive person, you're issued this freeloader bill, which again, in our case was a total of $150,000. And if I ever wanted to talk to my family again, following their rules, one of the steps would be I would have to pay that off. She'd have to be, basically, she'd have to be in good standing. I I was a very special category of person when I left. Um, So I never got a freeloader's bill. I... uh, I got a lot of other things, but not a freeloader's bill. <laughs> like a, lo- a lot of people following me, cameras set up, uh, you know, 24-hour-a-day surveillance, you know, six cars at a time, followed to England, followed to Australia, filmed everywhere I went, all that sort of stuff. But no, I didn't get a freeloader's bill. I yeah, mean, so I, I, was in the they- I was in the Sea Org for about a year when I was 14, to 15 and I got a freeloader's bill of like $40,000 and I paid it because I wanted to remain in Scientology. I had to, you know, I had, I had nowhere to go. So I had to, my mother was a Scientologist 
And I had to pay that freeloader's debt to get back into Scientology as a parishioner. So I had to pay that. So that's why we all had jobs when we were 15 years old. So, Claire, I just wanted to talk um, about lying in Scientology and particularly in the Sea Org. And the reason for wanting to talk to you about this, there were a number of them, but first of all, the statement that Hubbard makes about suppressive people like you and me is that they may be tricked, sued, or lied to, or destroyed without any consequence to Scientologists doing so. And it is important for people to understand that Scientologists, and especially Sea Org members, will lie. They will lie to law enforcement. They will lie under oath. They will lie in courts. They will lie when giving witness testimony. Mm-hmm. And every law enforcement agency or prosecutor needs to understand who and what they are dealing with when they're dealing with Scientologists. Right. That's an interesting, that's an interesting, sorry, Mike, that's an interesting point, right? Because you're, you're saying you're reading from the policy, right? You're reading from the fair game, suppressive series, right? How to deal with suppressives. And this is all part of the fair game policies and directives. Now, what you're saying is that Scientologists, right, you just said it eloquently, that they'll lie to fair game anyone who leaves. And what you're saying is Claire was doing just that while in the Seor to protect Scientology, as you did, Mike, as I did, as we all did, as is happening now, right? To It's happening now to Claire, even though she's been out of the Seor for how many years now and has beautiful sons and you have a family might and like it just it doesn't it won't end fair game will not end it'll just continue on until somebody stops it but i i i see what you're doing because i was like how does this connect to to claire because like you know we all see claire as like it's claire (laughs) right like (laughs) claire is like the nicest fairest like you know, she's the one you want to call when you think you've done something wrong, right? And you're like, Claire, <laughs> let me just tell you the situation. You know, like my mother, okay, so the other day, right? And you know that Claire's going to be like, well, maybe you reacted unfairly to her. And, you know, like she's the person. So it's funny, right, to connect Claire with like, Claire was the person inside Scientology willing to lie for Scientology. And so was I. And so it's just so funny to connect those concepts because it just seems so yes. odd now when you're out because it, it was so justified when you were in to do something like this. And it's so, it, it wouldn't even cross the minds of law enforcement if they called on a person like Claire. Here comes this you know, sweet woman who seems fair and has her head on straight and can speak well and it speaks from her heart that she, this woman, would be lying to me. But that's exactly what happens and that's exactly what's going to happen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think I think it would be good also to talk about the mechanics of that. And to me, there's 
three major components that it's important to understand from a Scientologist's mindset mm-hmm. that completely justify, they just make it not even, they don't even blink. They would right. do it in a heartbeat. One of those is the acceptable truth that I think you were starting to talk about, Mike, and acceptable truth. So the policy by L. Ron Hubbard is, um, says that Whatever you have to say, I think it even references a white lie. If it's to protect the Scientology organization, you alter the truth to a version that is acceptable to Scientology, meaning that the version, what the version of and statements, we're not going to call it a lie because that, well, nobody lies. But let's come up with a new term for a lie, and that is an acceptable truth. Okay. And that means that that statement will not harm Scientology. That's one. Okay. Number two is a shore story. So in the Sea Organization, and Mike, you would cover the the history of that much better than I would. But the the summary version, and then I'll let Mike add to that, is that you come up with a version of events again, the shore story that will maintain um, good public relations with authorities, police, government anyone asking questions that will shed no negative light mm. on Scientology, even if the actual events would be prosecuted. And you say shore story, that, that's S-H-O-R-E, right? A shore Correct. story. So this is a shi- uh, ship reference, right, Mike? Yes, it came from originally when L. Ron Hubbard was on board a ship. That's why it's called the Sea Organization, because Mm -hmm. it was at sea and Hubbard was on a ship with a bunch of people and he didn't want anybody to know what, that this was even Scientology. So he invented a story to tell people on the shore about what this ship was doing. It was not Scientology. It was the operation and transport corporation, a business management consulting outfit from the United States. And this was intended to protect him, protect mm-hmm. Scientology, and prevent anybody from investigating what was going on. Mm-hmm. And there are numerous shore stories that have been created over the years for, spe- for particular things. We heard, Leo, when we were talking about Clearwater on the aftermath, that there was a whole story that this was the United Churches of Florida had moved into town and bought the Fort Harrison Hotel. It was not Scientology. It was, was the United sh- Churches right. of Florida. And that was, was a sure story. Made up sure story. And so what's, and, the th- and what's the third thing? The third thing is the greatest good. The, the okay. concept of um, anything that you do needs to be for the greatest good, for the greatest number of dynamics. And in Scientology, the theory is there that every person has eight dynamics, starting with yourself, your relationship, your husband, your family. Yeah, it's like eight departments group. of your life that could be yes. just kind of you know put into compartments, I guess, right? Of- yes. Every except area of that, your life, yeah. Yes, except that in Scientology, that becomes perverted to whatever you have to do to protect the group, you mm-hmm. do it. No questions right. asked. Right. Same, same, exact same concept as is used by Voldemort in the Harry Potter stories The for the greater good. It references right. that. And it, right. you know, the bad guys say, oh, it's for the greater good. Well, it's the right. same in Scientology. 
It's whatever you have to do to protect Scientology's reputation, um, its assets, its organization, you you do it. And if that means you have to lie yeah. an acceptable truth, you do it. Right. Got it. Okay. Absolutely. So let's, let's go through some of these, sto- these short stories and some of these things. Yeah. And I was just going to say, Leah, I wrote a pretty extensive article about this exact subject called Why Do Scientologists Lie on My Blog? And it lays it all out in great detail. Great, because I hope the authorities, well, it'd be great if the authorities would go to your blog, Mike, and read that as well as some judges. Go ahead. Yes. In any event, there there is a few instances that I want to talk to Claire about, which is a story that uh, happened to the daughter of prominent Scientology lawyer Rick Moxon. Right. His daughter, Stacy, was at the Gold Base. Uh, she was a young woman. Uh, she w- Oddly, she was posted as an electrician. Was she an um, electrician? Th- well, she sort of learned on the job, sort of. She was not a licensed yeah. electrician. However... Yeah. By the code of a Org member, mm-hmm. she was doing any job assigned, no matter how hard, and making it go right. And that's the policy of Scientology that made her capable of putting her life at risk operating as an electrician when she had no formal training to do so. Right. Okay. So go ahead. Okay. So I'll let Claire tell the story that she told on the Aftermath finale. So Stacy Moxon um, came to the to work at the imp base in Hemet. Um, I believe she was 18 at the time that she arrived. She had just gotten married and her, uh, so she was Stacy Meyer mm-hmm. and she was married to Derek Meyer who was still in LA. Um, mm-hmm. So she was separated from her husband. Um, fast forward a year and a half, two years later. So now she was, I think 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this was in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And Stacy, um, on a Saturday night, had requested authorization to go down to Los Angeles on Sunday morning, which was, you know, according to the schedule, we were supposed to have three hours off on Sunday morning to do laundry and clean our rooms. And whether we had that time or not is another story altogether, but technically that was time personal time the only personal time we had so stacy had requested yes we all view personal time as time to clean your room and do your laundry <laughs> right That's personal time to me honey can you watch our daughter i would just love to do our laundry honey honey you know what i'd love for mother's day if you could just washing machine. If you could just oh let me add this laundry and this house. If I could just clean it. That's all I want. That's all I want. Right. Your dream time. So that I could work the rest of the 18 hours. Please. Uh, sorry. How yes. true that is. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Exactly right. Right. It, so good. But it, do, it does show, show you a snapshot of the mindset of a Seerg member. It really Well, does. you still have it, Claire. You're like, I mean, whether we got that or not, you know, whether we. You we're, still we're talk like. A, we're both like, taking a, you know, a lot of I would have really liked that three Claire. hours, but we didn't get it. Yes. So, Saturday night, Stacy 
is trying to get written approval, which she has to do to be able to leave the property. She's not allowed to leave the property unless she's had five people sign off to allow her to go to LA on Sunday morning to visit her father and her husband. Mm-hmm. And so that had to be approved even all the way up to Religious Technology Center. Someone from RTC had to sign off on that as well, not just mm-hmm. her immediate boss. Long story short, it was denied. She was not allowed to go. The next morning, while most people were cleaning their rooms and doing their laundry, Stacy came into the property at 10 a.m. She went up to a high-voltage electrical chamber, and she hauled herself into it and committed suicide. 19 years old. Now, the reports say otherwise. Yes. Right? Yes. I know, Claire. This still gets you. I know. (sighs) I know. So now, take me through this, Claire, because 911 wasn't called. So, well, from the, when, from 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 the base. Yes, and to my knowledge, no. When this happened though, when when Stacy committed suicide, mm-hmm. it shut down the power on the entire property. Right. And that called that was how it was alerted to. And I think when that happened, the local power company Mhm gets notified because obviously it's a, it's a major electrical incident. Mm-hmm. And that is what resulted in the authorities coming to the property, to my knowledge. Right. So just to add in, though, so we're talking about the shore story <clears throat> aspect of this. Mm-hmm. When this happened, Warren McShane, who was the legal guy in RTC, Religious Technology and Center. And still is, right? Yes, he still oh. is. Okay. Um, he immediately was called to the scene. Okay. I know he saw the scene because he to- personally told me what he saw. Um, he then came up with the shore story, which was that Stacy was trying to rescue a squirrel out of the this high voltage electrical chamber. And to mm-hmm. Mike's point, Stacy had worked as an electrician. She was more aware than I was of the danger of that high voltage chamber. Right. Absolutely. She knew the danger. So the short story developed was that Stacy was on the property, went to this chamber, tried to rescue a squirrel, and it was a terrible accident. And this is what you're this is what you're being told. So what what tell me what happens, Mike and Claire, in a situation like this where you know something went down that will possibly be investigated and it will not look good for Scientology. Not only that, this girl was not an electrician. She had no license. She had no business doing that as well. Everybody who is currently on that base today doing jobs in every Sea Org organization across the planet is somebody doing something that they have no license to be doing. Correct? Correct. Yes. Yes. To add to that, So initially, this was an investigation by the authorities. Mm -hmm. And so the way that Warren orchestrated this is that every single person who spoke to the authorities before they spoke to the authorities was carefully coached Mm -hmm. on exactly what to say. Because I know, I know from since leaving, the authorities know to look for discrepancies in Mm -hmm. a story 
And when there's discrepancies, that's the red flag that then they go, oh, somebody's lying. And they will grab onto that. Well, in this case, everybody's story exactly matched because they were coached on exactly what to say, even down to uh, drilling. Like, okay, Mike, let's let's work on this. So what was Stacy doing? What are you going to say? Okay, um, why was she there? Um, what was her, you know, all the, all the possible questions that they might ask, mm-hmm. their answers are exactly scripted to match. That's the mechanics of a short story mm-hmm. is every single person is saying the exact same line. So you're drilled by Warren McShane on how to deal with the authorities so that they'll just go away. And is that what happened, Claire? They came to the base to investigate. You all were drilled. You were told what to say. And that's it. They just said, okay, thank you and went away. Yes, that is what happened. I, I, I didn't talk to the authorities personally. However, I was assigned to counsel Warren McShane and a very close friend of Stacy's mm-hmm. um, and result, you know, address from a counseling, Scientology counseling perspective, the the upset and the grief associated with this. Right. Now they said it wasn't, that it was an accident, but there was more to the story that you, that you spoke about, Claire, about a note about her room. I I mean, there was other details to the story. Yes, there was, there was a note and her closest friend said that she had seen the note and said that she was very worried that Stacy was going to do something like this. And you heard that it was destroyed. That's right. And who did you hear that from? Warren McShane. He said to you, he said that there was a note and we got rid of it. Yes. Now, you've told the authorities this, Claire, obviously. Yes. And and what's the response to this? Again, um, they, I mean, they take down, they took down all the information, but the response was they need something more recent. And since I've been gone since 2005, I Mm -hmm. am unable to supply anything more recent. And just to add something, Leah, because Mm. you you asked what do the authorities say? And, you know, we we have all experienced this with, well, there's this problem, there's that problem, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a summary produced by the FBI Mm -hmm. in a Freedom of Information Act document of their investigation into a lot of these matters. And I'm just going to quote something that was in that summary. Please do. This is from the FBI 2009 summary, right? Right. Yeah. All Sea Org members are instructed how to lie to outsiders and authorities who might inquire of their living and working conditions. Right. Right. And that's, that's pretty significant. I mean, Maybe the Department of Justice didn't go forward with a prosecution based on their investigation, but the agents that did the investigating Mm -hmm. certainly had a lot of conclusions. This isn't the only one that they drew from having interviewed a lot of people and gathered a lot of evidence about what happens at the gold base. Right. Like the, the, the Department of Justice, the sentencing the sentencing memorandum. Thank oh. you. When was that, Mike? That that was from the Department of Justice, and and uh, this was when eleven Scientologists were were found guilty of infiltrating the United States government, right, and obstructing justice. And right. they said a similar thing. They said these defendants were willing to frame their critics to the point of giving false testimony under oath against them, and having them arrested and indicted speaks 
Legion for their disdain for the rule of law. And it goes on, indeed, they arrogantly place themselves above the law, meeting out their personal brand of punishment to those, quote, guilty, unquote, of opposing their selfish aims. Right. And this is over and over again, uh, and this will continue on, which is why we're giving these warnings over and over to judges, to the to law enforcement, so they realize what in the hell they're dealing with. Anyway, uh, the story is, is um, of course, I, I think important enough to tell, but the fact that uh, we're following it up with these statements by the FBI and the DOJ is important. Uh, in moving forward. And uh, what was the other story, Mike, that you wanted to talk about? Oh, I, I just wanted to to sort of demonstrate how pervasive this thinking is with with Claire's personal story about breaking her leg. And I think everybody who has had an injury on the property, the gold-based property, has and can tell exactly the same story. Like, yes. I broke my leg on my motorcycle too, which Claire remembers, <laughs> Yes, and, but it wasn't quite like Claire's. And I, I just thought that, that the idea that it is so ingrained in SEOG members of just lying to protect whatever they think they need to protect, which is the organization or any person in it or the reputation or whatever is, is like, it, it's so ingrained, it's like even when you're not thinking straight, you lie. So, Mike, why don't you go through some of these uh, things, lying in Miscavige's $70 million bunker. Why don't you guys go through this list? Because it's pretty extensive. Well, that list, uh, let me just finish with Claire. Because okay, go ahead. Claire, you broke your leg. Yes. And they didn't call 911. And no. so, and some security person uh, then came and put you in some form of splint or something for your broken leg. Yes. So what happened is it was um, June or actually July 1999, and I'd had two hours of sleep. And in the middle of the day on a Saturday, I was driving a motorcycle and I had a very bad crash. The impact broke my left leg, both bones clean through, and the impact also broke my right shoulder. Um, so I landed on the ground, security were called, and uh, Kevin Catano, Kirsten Catano's husband, mm -hmm. um, was the security guard that responded. He came out on his motorcycle. So we don't call an ambulance? No. The is reason that, Is that the policy? Yes, that's yes. the policy on the base. And the reason given was that David Miscavige was on the property at the time this accident happened. So 911 was not to be called. No ambulance was to be called. So what what does David Miscavige have to having to be like having been on the property have to do with that? Well, no authorities can come on the property when he's there because it would expose him. Jeopardize his security. Yes. It would okay. be out security. Okay. Go yes. Ahead. So Kevin Catano came to the accident where I was laying on the ground with my foot angled off completely loose. And he um, put a splint on my leg and then they lifted me up and they had these small little red Honda 
Honda cars that the medical office medical staff used. Now, do they have licenses or do they have any kind of his? No, no. no they did okay. not. They okay, were not authorized to be performing any medical okay. anything. Okay, they, definitely Just not. Checking emergency response personnel. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. So they lifted me up yeah. with this splint on my leg, crammed me into the little red Honda and drove me to the Hemet Hospital, which was the closest hospital to the right. property. Okay. So it was about a 30, 20, 30 minute drive. And by the time we arrived at the hospital, I was in shock. Um, and so... We pulled up to the emergency room. They immediately, the emergency room personnel took one look at me. They immediately called out a, um, what's it called? A, uh, a gurney. 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 Mm-hmm. I got loaded onto the gurney, taken into the ER. And for the next six hours, they were doing testing because turns out that the splint that was put on my leg was the wrong kind of splint. And it was... Because of that, a very likely possibility that I would have ended up losing my foot. Um, the the ER personnel were livid, and wow. they so they came to me laying in the gurney, and said, "Who did this to you?" And I I was in shock, and I didn't know what to say. Of course, I knew who did it to me. It was Kevin Catano. Right. And I had just looked at them and I said, "I don't know." Right. Even in that moment, you were protected yes. by Scientology. Even right. in that moment, like right. about to lose my foot right. from this terrible accident, and right. and I didn't. Uh, and <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you so never luckily, did tell the truth. Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, luckily you recovered, and you just went back right back to work, right? Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm sure you were penalized for that accident, weren't you? I mean, yes. I, I'm saying that without even knowing the story. Yes, okay. I was. <laughs> I was labeled as a potential trouble source, right? Um, which, because I had an accident, of course, if you have an accident or any kind of illness in Scientology, it means you must be connected to someone who has ill intentions towards Scientology, right? Um, and so I was, um, I had to go through many steps, and um, it took me two years to be able to walk normally again. But you were punished for getting into an accident because that yes. was your fault. Okay. Yes. Okay. Anything else, Mike? Do we need to cover with Claire? I'm sorry. Well, just one other thing that okay. I wanted to mention, and and we brought it up before, but Warren McShane is the president of the Religious Technology Center to this day. He is the person who is sent to testify on behalf of Religious Technology Center or Scientology, and in particular, sent to testify on behalf of David Miscavige. So David Miscavige himself does not have to testify. I see. Warren McShane, David Miscavige told me personally Mm -hmm. that the reason that Warren McShane was on that position and remained on that position was solely because he was such a good liar, that he was absolutely useless at anything and everything except lying. Wow. And... This is not just me that is saying this, because I know Claire heard that from Miscavige, too, and our old friend Marty Rathbun. Marty Rathbun, who used to be the boss of Warren McShane, wrote a a posting on his blog that's still there, 
that says Miscavige told me on several occasions that there was one reason and one reason alone that Warren McShane remained in RTC after the 1987 takeover. That is, Warren is such a good liar. Who else is going to handle RTC depositions and declarations? Miscavige told McShane to his face that if it weren't for his lying abilities, he'd be busted to gold to do messed hard labor for the rest of his life. This is the epitome of how Scientology views dealing with the legal system, law enforcement, and prosecutions. And Claire can can chime in with the same stories about Warren McShane that she's personally heard from Miscavige. Go ahead. Yes. So again, on many instances, David Miscavige said that Warren, his special skill was professional. He's a professional liar. Um, and in fact, when during our lawsuit, um, there was a day that I on one of the days of deposition where I was in deposition with Scientology's lawyers, Warren McShane was present. And, um, how weird was that? Was that so uncomfortable, Claire? It was. This is a guy who I've seen lie. He's told me he's lied. I was his like counselor in Scientology, senior to him. Yes. I think honestly, the only reason he was there was as an attempt to intimidate me. And I walked in and I looked him in the eye and I said, hi, Warren, long time no see. And he just looked down and didn't answer. But there's one other example, I think, Mm -hmm. of Shore Story Mm -hmm. that just might help answer some of the out, you know, the general public's questions, because it struck me when it happened and I understood it when I saw it, but nobody else did. Okay. So there was the um, Anderson Cooper History of Violence TV show. The five-part series, yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. right. And during one of those episodes, they had all of the ex-wives there. And by the way, we should say, people should really look that up. If you have not seen Anderson Cooper's five-part series on Scientology. What was it called again, Claire? You just said it. History of Violence. History History of of Violence. Violence. It is, you should watch every minute of it because it is so shocking. Uh, Yes. Yes, so they had the wives on. Yes. The wives of all of these suppressive people that left. So that was Mike Rinder's ex-wife, Marty Rathbun's ex-wife, Jeff Who, Hawkins, Jeff Jefferson Hawkins, Hawkins ex-wife. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Tom and, DeVox. And yeah. Tom DeVox ex-wife, right, right, yes. Right. Okay. And so those four women gave testimony, and they all said the exact same statement, as I recall anyway. I haven't seen it in a while. They Completely all said, rehearsed. I yes. knew every inch, inch of, of his, his body. body. He never mentioned it. I lived with the man. Now, if you, which was so crazy, like it, it, like I used to pull my hair. I like I would just try to hurt myself. They were so frustrating. I wanted to have at the TV. Yes. I mean, you. It's it's a business transaction. You know, I might be able to stomach you, but you're not paying each other's bills. You're not having children in the Sea Org. You're not raising children in the Sea Org. You're not going through what couples go through as Sea Org members. It's like if you see each other, you see each other. If you don't, you don't. Sometimes Sea Org members are transferred to a, to a different country. And yes. God forbid you said, like, I miss you. Your own husband or wife would write a report on you going, what the fuck is that? I'm in the Sea Org. Like, what are you talking about? Like, 
Wait, you were telling a story. Oh, so the the, the inch wise, yeah. Go oh ahead. yes, I was just saying. To me, that's that's a sure story that everybody. Uh, I mean, the amount of people that were just commented at the time that that history of violence show aired, saying, "Who says that?" I mean, right. it was jarring to everybody. Right. right, and you know, we should we should know that, like going forward, and we're talking about. Scientology parishioners, we're talking about Scientology celebrities, are told what the sure stories are going to be. Um, and they are drilled, like you said, this is what you're going to say if you're contacted by law enforcement, if you're co- called to a grand jury, if this, if that, if you're depositioned, here's what you're going to say. And that, so I don't want people to get the idea that it's just Sea Org members. All Scientologists yeah. are taught to lie. Um, to protect Scientology, which is why you're seeing like these videos, these hate videos uh, from people, uh, of family members and friends of they are willing or and willing to say or do anything to protect Scientology. Yes. Yep. So yeah, anything to add, Mike? No, Leah. I think okay. that we've we've. I mean, we could talk about this. No, for but like I just three wanted, episodes. But. I just didn't know if the girls wanted us to go through this amazing list that's here because I think it's a great. Whoever put this list together, I mean, did you want oh, to go over that? Me. You want to go over that? Do you girls want to? Should... Okay. Well, I just want to stay on Warren McShane for a minute because he seems to have an extensive history here. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's because he's the guy that's put out. there. There is, Leah, understand, and yeah. law enforcement out there, understand, there are a few people that you will hear from routinely over and over Warren McShane on behalf of RTC, Alan Cartwright and Lynn Fani on behalf of Church of Scientology International. Okay. And those people are the people who are routinely the people that interact with law enforcement, with courts, with judges, with prosecutors, mm-hmm. and they're very, very skilled at lying at, to protect Scientology. We there is another document that we have here, which is a report that Warren McShane or the of from the Riverside County Sheriff's Office, mm-hmm. and this actually it came up in the context of Claire's. She mentioned earlier about being involved in a lawsuit, and Claire had filed a lawsuit, and this document became relevant in that lawsuit, and mm-hmm. it's a story that doesn't really matter why it was, but it came to light in that context. Okay, go ahead. And Warren McShane, this was when a guy called John Brousseau, who was another person in RTC, had left the int base on an, in an unauthorized fashion. Mm-hmm. He blew in Scientology mm-hmm. parlance. Okay. Escaped. And J- he made his escape. He made yeah. his escape. And okay. JB was someone who was intimately connected to David Miscavige and Tom Cruise. He had built Tom Cruise's hangar. He had, had decked out uh, his house. He had in, built a, limo, uh, a limousine for him, also, uh, his motorcycles, all sorts of stuff. So JB was like a big, important person in the world of Miscavige. So the minute they discovered that he had escaped, Warren McShane called the sheriff's office and filed a report with the Riverside County Sheriff's Office alleging that John Brousseau had stolen property, right. which was not true. I see. 
But in the course of alleging that and trying mm -hmm. to convince the sheriff's department that he had done something heinous and terribly wrong, mm -hmm. Warren McShane informed the sheriffs that, well, he got away because uh, he had access to the internet, unlike everybody else on the property. Mm -hmm. And he was able to escape because he had the right to go on and off the property without anybody else's authorization. So he was admitting, and he escaped. So he was admitting he, that he got escaped, that he that he had to escape. He didn't say escape, but <laughs> okay. he said that the way the way that he was able to right. leave was, was he had, that. Yeah, right. And and these things are really significant. Uh, actually, Warren McShane telling the truth for a change, right? About right, right. by what mistake, goes, by mistake, right? Right. <laughs> by mistake, <laughs> yeah. Because he thought it was going to incriminate a greater yeah, right. end, exactly. That Scientology denies over and over and over that you can leave of your own free will whenever you want to go. But here, he, but here he is saying the only reason he was able to do that is because he was the only one with this access. He was the only only reason he was do that because he was the only one who had a a vehicle, and he's right. So right, exactly. Yes, I get right. it. Exactly. I get it. They, right. they and, said it and, so many times in our lawsuit saying. Well, you were free to leave. Uh -huh. And and of course I said, Well, had I driven off in their vehicle, that would have been grand larceny. I right, mean, exactly. No, I was right, not right. able I had no means to get out of it. Right, right, right. <laughs> and but, you had but, and by the way, you also had nowhere to or go. Grand theft. Grand theft, grand not theft. grand larceny. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But, grand but theft. you also yeah. But you also had nowhere to go. No, no. Right. Yes. And my, they also, my, uh, on top of that, when Mark Headley uh, was on his bike, didn't they run your husband over? And yes. then, and then when the sheriff's office showed up, he lied yes. to protect Scientology. Even in that moment, he did. And that's and that's all. This is all in his book, Blown for Good. And to add to that, more specifically, he knew that if he did, I, who he'd left behind, thank you, Mark, uh, would be in deep trouble. And they would, and I, because I would have, but I would like to comment at this time though, the day that happened, <clears throat> I was, I had been up all night and I was in an office, um, in the same building as Mike at the time. Um, they came to me and said, Mark is an enemy of the church. He called 911. Wow. Right. That was Black and right. white. Right. Anyone right. who calls 911, they are an enemy of Scientology. Right. And so they're basically saying, know that. So you're yes. married to him and you're going to divorce him. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Okay, Mike, let's go through some and, of these things. And by the way, he didn't call 911. Okay. He didn't. Yeah. Guys, come on. Wait. Look, look, we... <laughs> not that it would have been wrong yeah. to call 911. Right. Claire, did you want to go over any more? Did you have other things that you, I thought you were about to say some things, accidents or other things that you witnessed? I mean, there, there, there were numerous accidents, incidents, suicides, and they were all, I mean, we could go through the details for hours, but the pattern was always the same. A short story was developed. Okay. Were you witness to any abuse and were told, okay, if somebody asked about this, Claire, you're going. So we're just looking for other things. If if, yes. if the answer is no, there's the answer is no. But if well, you have I mean, we've to say we've it. talked about witnessing physical abuse before mm -hmm. on the aftermath show. Of course, you know there are hundreds of times that I witnessed 
Miscavige being physically abusive, maybe even thousands. I, you know, it was a way of life at that property. I saw Miscavige physically abuse Mike mm-hmm. easily hundreds of times over the years. Um, so, so and yes. were you told? And were you told? So you're saying you you've witnessed physical abuse by the hands of David Miscavige? Yes. And you were told by whom? If anybody asks about this, you are to say this. That's that conversation in those circumstances when mm-hmm. it's on the property, just involving yeah. staff. It goes without saying. There's no there. There's no need for a shore story when there's no outside witnesses. There's so no you just you guys involved. know that Mike is not going to jump over the gates and go run to the sheriff's department. That's you right. just know that you're not going to say anything, Claire, because you're just used to seeing that abuse, and it it makes sense why that abuse is happening. That's right. And if the authorities were to come on the base and say, we heard of stories of you guys being held against your will and people being beaten, what would you say to that? Well, so there, and there were a few instances where in the early 90s, mm-hmm. someone did call 911. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a woman um, whose mother, she was trying to, she was trying to leave to reconnect with her and she called 911 from the property. Mm-hmm. However, in this in the main security booth, they have a scanner. Mm-hmm. So they heard that the police were responding and coming to the property, and they promptly put this woman in a vehicle and drove her to, to Los Angeles so that by the time the authorities got there, the answer was, there's no one here by that name. Mm, I see. And again, they've developed relationships with the local authorities, Um you where know, they don't question, they don't push where it. Where they don't question it, yes. Right. Now, but Claire, if you were directly asked by the sheriff's office, Claire, we heard that people were being beaten here. Um, is that true? Why don't you come with us? We'll help you. What would have been your answer back then? Back then? Um, well, l- let's just set the stage. There would okay. be a, a, a Sea Org member with me. A handler during the interview, I wouldn't be my by myself in that interview, and that's and a I standard. That's standard practice. You're not absolutely. allowed to be by yourselves. Okay, no, absolutely okay. not. And I would have already been prepped with exactly what I was going to say. So in in my and what, mind, and what would you say, Claire? What were the, what were the things you would say about being beaten and held against your will? Say I absolutely was not have not been beaten or and have not been held against my will. And you're happy here. And I'm happy here. I'm happily married. David Miscavige is God's gift to mankind. His entire purpose is to save the planet. And I mean, in some of the affidavits, they make stories about how he rescued a bird. And, you know, Mm. I mean. (laughs) But but Claire, so if they confronted you and said, now, listen, you know, your former, uh, you know, Co-worker Mike Rinder is out here in the real world telling us that, you know, he was beaten hundreds of times in front of you. Um, What would you say to that? The mindset is not that the facts of what happened is not important. Mm -hmm. What's important is that in that scenario, Mike is attempting to destroy Scientology. So therefore, it's my job to, to discount and, right. So uh, what would you say about Mike to the officer asking you that question? Whatever lines I was told to say. I see. It that's would just what be I would a, repeat. you would be prepped, right? And yeah, it would because usually, I usually yes, but but usually what, what the lines are, Claire, you know what the lines are, right? The lines are 
Mike was kicked out of Scientology. He was not, he was uh, kicked out for reasons of uh, whatever. Being they, unable to live up to the high, high ethical standards, standards. standards of Scientology in the Sea Org. Um, and if anybody had committed these horrible things, it was him and Marty Rathbun or him and Marty Rathbun or him and Tom DeVocht or Tom DeVocht and Mark Hadley, whoever it is that's left, if they are forced into a corner but, of having to admit that something happened, mm. it's the people who left that did it. Right. But <laughs> Even Claire, though they're the ones that are going out and saying, this is what happened to me. Right. Yes. But Claire, your your mindset was it, it was that uh, you would lie to protect Scientology. But, but when you went to bed at night, when you were in your motel room with no TV and a mattress, you would think, wouldn't you think? Mike so, is telling the truth. I know that Mike is telling the truth. Of course I would know Mike is telling the truth. Mm. But I think it's also important to, to talk about and understand that if a staff member there does not follow what they are told to do, there are very serious consequences. So had I messed it up and said something wrong, I would be put under full-time security watch. I would be on heavy manual labor. I would never... I'd, wouldn't be able to talk to my husband. You know, there's very real life consequences if you do not abide by and do what they tell you to do. Totally so, got it. Yeah. I, I got that. Yeah. But when you laid your head down at night, Claire, and you thought that Mike was telling the truth, that that is the that is the hardest part for me as a Scientologist to understand what they do to people, how they fair game people, how they destroy people's lives. When when they lay their heads down at night, they know that we are all telling the truth. That's the part I don't understand. Yes. So so when you lay your head down at night, you go, but fuck, I know Mike is telling the truth. I was witness to his abuse. I was yes. witness. What what do you tell yourself then when no one's watching? That's the voice of reason that you stick in the back of your mind and do not listen to. I you don't know what else to aside. say. Right. You just, you know, and, and to me, honestly, that's, you know, the fact that I lived there for 15 years and witnessed some terrible things. And how do you come to terms with that? All you can do is try to understand the programming and the manipulation and the mental uh, control that they exerted over you. That's Of course, I get it. Yeah. Mike, when you knew that people were telling the truth, was there a moment, a crack of like, but but how did you get through it? You just said, but they shouldn't be talking. But they they even though they I know it's true, they know it's true. They shouldn't be talking about it. Yes, until, that, and therefore deserve big, deserve the the punishment they're getting. That's yes. a big part of it, Lee. Yeah. Is that look if you've got a problem with Scientology, deal with it in Scientology. Yes. There are internal procedures for dealing with everything. There is a, a justice system. There is a ethics system. All of these things are all already covered in Scientology. So if you're stepping outside of Scientology to air your grievances or resolve situations or whatever, then that is proof that though you may be telling the truth about something or another— Mm -hmm. You're overall trying to destroy it. Mike, that is the bigger point to make here because that's what justifies 
Like, yes, Leah is telling the truth. Mike's telling the truth. But they know they shouldn't be saying it. That's against our policies. And that's how they get through the fucking night. Because they go, okay, we get it, Leah. But write internal reports. Did that. But write it to David Miscavige. They're about him. They're about him. (laughs) My reports are about David Miscavige abusing people. So can't do that. Leah, there's other options. There's RTC. There is no RTC. David Miscavige is RTC. Okay, but there's the Watchdog Committee. There is no Watchdog Committee. David took it out. David Miscavige took it out. So they, but they still believe in the policies of Scientology that you can make it right and fix it within. And that's what we've been really guilty of, in quotes, that we've gone against the policies of you don't put it out on the street, the truth. Exactly. Yes, absolutely correct, Leah. And Just don't you, tell anybody. Yes, exactly. And yeah. then you add one more layer to that, which is back to something Claire said very early on. Yeah. The greatest good. Look, right. I know when I told my brother, when my brother came to try and confront me in the parking lot yeah. and was yelling and screaming with those other crazy banshees, and I yeah. said to him, stop, Andrew, stop. Listen, you yeah. don't know what is going on. You don't right. know what really happens at the yeah. international base. You've never been there. You Wait have not seen David. I don't care. That's exactly right, Leah. Right. I don't care because David Miscavige is doing so much good for the world. Right. Right. And on that, we hope that we've educated people further on what, how far, how far-reaching fair game and lying to the authorities and lot I mean how far Scientology will go to hide the truth and I I hope we've given more insight into this Mike I hope people are really starting to get this and Claire once again we've called upon you to help us out and we love you and thank you for being there for us, continuing to tell the truth for continuing to speak out against Scientology and we love you and Mike, I love you. <laughs> oh, it's a thank big you. love fist. I <laughs> love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But truly, thank yeah. you. Thank you for your both for the persistence on, you know, this th- this whole path of educating the yeah. public in general has been a, a tough journey. And I, I truly hope that the examples we've given will help educate authorities on the pattern by which Scientology has evaded justice so yes. far so that they can no longer continue to do so. Great point, Claire. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of you for listening. Until next time. And we love you too, we should say that. Yes, yes. we should. We yes. love you guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>